You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you have a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Luke chapter 12? That's where we're going to be today. We've been in the book of Luke for a long time now. We've covered lots and lots of different topics. We talked about hell one week, followed by money, which there's like two scary things to talk about. So if you were here for those two weeks, I'm glad you endured through those two weeks. Uh, But these things are in the Word of God. And so we want to go to what's next in the book of Luke and teach that and, and, and allow it to transform our lives. Uh, If you've been around our church very long, Resonate is not like every other church that you maybe know about or you have been a part of. And when we talk about our church, we always mention church planting and making disciples and mission and going forward and sharing the gospel. I don't think anyone would uh, describe Resonate as a comfortable church. Like, man, you go to Resonate, they don't ask anything of you. It's like the complete opposite. It's like, don't go to Resonate, they will ask for your soul. It's like, that's fair. That's, that's fair. Um, <laughs> And some of the things we even, the wor- yeah, t- too, too soon for that joke. Uh, there, there's some stuff we even describe about our church. When we talk about our church, we use the word urgent. That we want to be an urgent kind of church that multiplies uh, villages urgently, that plants churches urgently. Then you add in the fact that the average age of our church is like 14. No, it's not 14. It's, it's like the average age is probably like 25 maybe. I, I don't know. We're young. We're a young church. And so you take urgency and youth and you put those things together. What you get is chaos. Absolute, utter, unmanageable chaos is what you get. And so we, we understand that this, this mission that we feel like God has called us to is chaotic, but we feel like it's worth going forward anyways. And so what happens, uh, if, if you've been around our church very long, is one of the critiques about Resonate, one of the critiques about any church that's trying to do this kind of thing, uh, is that this kind of approach to missional living, it seems to leave out the health of the individual. Oftentimes, this kind of chaotic, let's go for it approach can leave out the health of the individual. And so people will say things like, um, we'll we'll ask them to do something and they'll say like, man, I I really wish I could be involved. I really wish I shared the gospel. Uh, I really wish I could open up my home for village. But like in the married world, people will say, well, my marriage isn't strong enough right now for me to open up my home for village. Or uh, I'm not really doing good enough to be out there sharing the gospel. Uh, I'm personally not healthy enough to be asking anyone else to be healthy. And what we're trying to communicate to you is what makes your marriage healthy is opening up your home for village. What makes your spirituality healthy is sharing the gospel even when you don't feel like it. What makes you healthy is living on mission and making disciples when you feel ill-equipped to live on mission and make disciples. But what happens in the life of the church is people come and they say things like this, like, resonate doesn't care for me. Resonate doesn't care about me, which is interesting because the word resonate is just an English word that has no ability to care for you. You know that, right? Like resonate's not a thing. It's just a word. It cannot care for you. So uh, let me give you a pro tip on how to complain about the church. Um, Name the person who's your village leader. (laughs) Like, hey, resonate doesn't care about me. There's no such thing as resonate. What's your village leader's name? Now we're talking. <laughs> who, who leads your huddle? What's your pastor's name, right? Ouch. So there, there's some real life things about your health that we care about. And so I, I think that that gets disregarded too often. Listen, we care about how you're doing emotionally. And more than that, Jesus cares about how you're doing emotionally. And we understand we've entered into a chaotic environment. Therefore, we really need to take care of each other because our emotions are getting hijacked and used against the mission. 
And that happens all the time. And so uh, just for fun, how, how many of you in the room would say you are a planner? Like you know what's going to happen next week. Yeah? Some of you. How many of you are just going to wake up and see what happens? Yeah. You guys really got to grow up, right? <laughs> it's unreal. It's unreal. But if you're a planner, you get stressed out by stuff. And if you wake up in the morning and just see what happens, it's not long before you're stressed out. And, and so I'm kind of the wake up and see what happens guy. But listen, when we first started Resonate, I would grind my teeth at night because I would be so stressed out about our church. And my wife, who was sleeping with me now, was like, hey, bro, what are you doing at night? That's super loud and gross. And so I had to wear a mouth guard for like two years because of the stress I carried. Uh, if you see our site pastors, like they go out to plant a church all young looking and they come back after a year and you're like, what happened to you, man? And they have gray hair and they're like, every gray hair is like the name of a staff member on their team. Like, and so it's a real thing. Like you really do get overwhelmed in the kind of life that, that we feel like God has offered to us. And, and I believe that's true of all of us. So this, this is a little more vulnerable than are you a planner or not. Um, but show of hands, how many of you in the room would say that there's something in your life right now that a decision, a relationship, a fear, or a frustration, something in your life right now that you're unsettled about and that you're anxious about? Show of hands. Yeah? Okay, just for fun, just call out what that thing is. Just tell us right now. No, actually, don't do that. That's... <laughs> just yell it out. No, don't. You're like, man, that's going to make me more stressed out because I'm really introverted. Don't do that to me. So listen, this worry, this stress, this anxiety, this is a real thing in the world. This is real in my life. It's real in your life. So we have to ask the question, if, if we believe God's called us to be something and to do something in the world, then what does Jesus have to say about worry? What does he have to say about stress and anxiety? And in Luke chapter 12, to his guys that were living on mission, he turns and he gives them some teaching on what you are to do when you handle worry. So verse 12, sorry, verse 22 of chapter 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, which you will wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? So Jesus uses your value to bring about healing to your worry. He's like, you're worried about this? Let me remind you of your value if you need healing from your worry. Verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, King Solomon's the Old Testament king who was the richest and the wisest of all. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass in the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things. But your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus' response to worry is two things. One, value, and one is reminding you that you have been given the kingdom. He reminds you of what you've been given. He reminds you of who you are. And then he tells us something in this passage that's so significant for us. Listen, one of the most significant ways, according to Jesus, that we can look different from the world 
is how we handle worry, stress, and anxiety. One of the major ways you can stand out in the world is how you process worry and stress and anxiety. But anxiety is an emotion that just comes upon you. It's not like you wake up in the morning and say, I feel like being anxious right now. I'll, I'll do that. It just occurs to you. It overcomes you and it comes on to you. And often you can, you can think of it like, oh, that's just that thing that happens to me, but it's not a big deal. According to Jesus, worry is a big deal. It's such a big deal because... It has something that, that can actually hurt us. So it's a big deal, not just because it can harm us emotionally or harm us physically, but worry destroys your ability to experience God's blessings. He has blessed you in this way. He's taking care of you in this way, but worry is stealing that and taking that away from you. And Jesus says, be careful with worry. Instead, set your heart on something else. Set your heart on who I am and what my kingdom's about and allow that to make its way down into your day-to-day life. So Jesus says, you can look different than the world by how you handle stress and anxiety and worry. So I started thinking to myself, what are some major things that our culture worries about and stresses out about that maybe you and I can enter into? Because uh, if you have a better list than me, you can tell me later. But here's the few things I came up with on things that our culture and our world is worried about all the time. Number one, fear of missing out. That is known as FOMO to you young people. Um, I heard a new one recently called JOMO, which is the joy of missing out for all of you introverts. Like you see, you see your friends hanging out and you're like, oh, praise God, I'm not there. Oh, that looks horrible. Look at all those people mingling and small talking. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm here with my cats. But listen, when I, when I say FOMO, I, I don't just mean like all my friends are hanging out and I'm not there. Here, here's what I really mean. I, I mean this, this paralysis of indecision, Th- this inability to pick that job because you might miss out on that job or pick that internship because you might miss out on that internship or go to Elevate because then you might miss out on what your friends are doing back home or to go on spring break here. Like this overwhelming, crippling anxiety that comes with the the inability to commit to things and honor those commitments because you might miss out on something else. And then in light of that, you start to fear these, you start to feel these fears of like, if it doesn't happen right now, it's never going to happen. So for instance, you think to yourself, if I don't get married in college, I'm never going to get married. Oh no, I'm going to miss out on marriage. If I don't find a guy in college, then I'm going to get older and not be married and I'm going to get weird and then I'm going to get cats. And so you find yourself progressing to a place you never should have progressed to, but that fear overwhelms you. And maybe you're in this place and you go, I need to get that job. If I don't get that job, then I'm not going to afford that apartment. If I don't get that apartment, I'm not going to afford that, that kind of life that's going to get that kind of partner. And if I don't get that kind of partner, I'm going to have to get a cat. And the next thing you know, every, all roads lead to cats in, in this particular portion of the fears. My wife is allergic to cats. It's my favorite thing about her. She's really alert. Like, it's bad. Like, we can't even go over to your house if you have a cat. It's great. Uh, so she gets really sick. I'm, I'm trying to lead, protect, and provide for her. So uh, the second major thing that happens that, that the world gets stressed out about after the fear of missing out is the, the, and this is a little more significant, the fear of being less than. And that's a, that's a comparison thing, the fear of being less than. 
Uh, recently, our world has become infatuated with happiness and infatuated with success. And so you constantly feel the bombardment of people saying, hey, if you're not happy, buy this thing. It'll make you happy. If you're not happy, try this thing. It'll make you happy. It'll make you successful. And so we're literally constantly being bombarded with information and flashing lights saying, buy this perfume, watch this movie, shop this sale, do this to your body, eat this food, buy this toy for your kid. All these marketing and advertising tools are coming at us nonstop every day. And every single one of these is, every one of these messages is designed to subtly make us feel less than. They're designed to make you feel less than. So you buy something you don't need until the shine wears off and then you go and buy something else. I can't even watch HGTV anymore because of the insecurities it places on me on what my house should look like. Like Chip and Joanna Gaines are amazing, but they make me insecure. Because I'm like, oh, my house should look better than it looks. And my friends are going to come over and they're like, oh, you, you don't have shiplap everywhere. So your house is not cool. And so this comparison thing, it overwhelms us. It comes at us at all, all shapes and sizes. Uh, and, and what happens is you, you, you start to see, especially some of you ladies, you start to see unattainable, unhealthy, like the standards of beauty that are portrayed in the world have nothing to do with God's design for the world. Yet, yet that's what comes at you and you start to feel insecure and, and you worry and you stress and, and it comes at you and overwhelms you. And, and that's not God's design, but yet that's the worry and the stress you carry all the time because you think that'll make you happy. Now, I know for me, like I have, uh, I, I try to build stuff, but I don't have a lot of money. So I'm like building stuff on a budget. And so I bought some tools at Home Depot, uh, some, a drill and a saw and all these tools made by a brand called Ryobi. And it turns out I learned later in life that Ryobi is like the lowest class brand at Home Depot. Like they barely carry it. And so I'm like, oh, I don't want to bring my drill to men's boot camp, my Ryobi drill, because this isn't very cool. Like everyone else has DeWalt and Milwaukee and all these cool things. But at the end of the day, all I need is for this little machine to screw that screw into that board. But because it says Ryobi, all of a sudden, there's no God, right? And you're like, that, that's unhealthy and that's not okay. But yet that's what happens all the time. This, this unattainable pursuit of happiness, it's not real. And I, I'm not against social media, but social media ha has a real grip on us when it comes to comparing ourselves. There's a pastor in Texas that says, uh, social media has trained us to enter life's situations as actors. And our environments are sets where we play out premeditative narratives and then we post them online in, in anticipation of responses. He says, we are losing our ability to live without an audience. We're constantly comparing ourselves and so that we can look better or we can catch up with whoever's ahead of us. And it's stressing us out. It's absolutely stressing us out. The third thing is the fear of losing control. This one's a little easier. This is security. This is career. This is financial future. This is the logistics that go into, oh no, I have debt from college. How am I going to pay for that debt? How am I going to pass college? If I don't pass this class, I got to pay for another class. That's expensive. And the fear of, of the, the fear of security, which you can't accomplish, which leads to insecurity, makes us walk in this world constantly asking the question, uh, how am I going to pay for that? How's this going to work out? Am I going to have enough retirement? Am I going to have enough money to make it work? And that overwhelms us. And then the last one is the fear of man. The fear of man is the approval piece where most of us walk this world going, I care more about what people think of me than what God thinks of me. 
And so my identity is in what others think of me more often than my identity is in what God thinks of me. And these kinds of things are what the world primarily is crippled by and is stressed out about. And then here comes Jesus going, you can look different than the world. You can absolutely look different than the world. And so the way Jesus attacks these anxieties and these worries is he attacks them always with truth, with facts, with promises, and with reasons. So Jesus says, oh, you're stressed out about what you're going to eat. Let me remind you about the ravens. They eat really well. You're more valuable than them. Tell me how you're feeling about eating now. Oh, I have these feelings of insecurities about what I'm supposed to wear and how I'm going to be clothed. And and Jesus, here's all my feelings about that. And Jesus goes, hey, look at these flowers over here. These flowers are more beautiful than Solomon. And tomorrow some guy's going to mow over them with a lawnmower and it's not even a big deal. So tell me again how you're feeling about what you're going to wear. Like God cares about you more than that. And so oftentimes we, we see Jesus as this guy that just wants to come alongside your feelings and make them better, but really he comes alongside and gives you truth to every one of the things that you are feeling. And he goes even further than that. He says, listen, an anxiety-free life, a worry-free life is possible. It's absolutely possible. So you might ask the question, how is it possible? Uh, and I think it's hard for me at this point um, because on the Myers-Briggs personality profile, like I am off the chart thinker. So I am not a feeler on the Myers-Briggs. My wife is like off the chart feeler and I have two little girls. And so there's a lot of feelings in the Martin household. This morning at 630, there was like three women crying. So it, it gets real in our house. And so as I get into this, listen, I am not proposing that we suppress our feelings. I'm not. I used to write songs and poems and I had love for my wife. Like, okay, I get it. Like I have feelings too, all right? Just because I process logically doesn't mean I don't have feelings. We shouldn't suppress our feelings, but we also shouldn't be dictated by our feelings. And so that's what we have to balance. I go to men's boot camp every year and I yell at the men that they need to grow in their emotional capacity and their emotional expressiveness. And I yell, quit being robots, you weirdos, right? That's how you talk to guys, it works, it's great. and what I'm trying to say is like, we need, we need to grow in this, but we can't be driven by it. And we can't be robotic in this. So, so how, how do we look different? Number one, we look different by realizing our feelings are not God. God is God. Our feelings are good, but they are not God. Again, we, we shouldn't suppress them, but we shouldn't be driven by them. The reason this is such a significant thing is because oftentimes, and by oftentimes, I mean like every single day, our feelings are out of sync with God's truth. Every single day, the likelihood of your feelings being out of sync with God's truth is probably like 2,000%. You are going to find yourself feeling differently than, than what God has said to be, than what God has said to be true. And here's the temptation. The temptation is to bend God's truth to match your feelings instead of saying, God, would you bend my feelings to match your truth? Every single day, you see this with with preachers and book writers that go, I feel strongly about this, so I'm going to change the word of God so that I can feel better about what I'm feeling right now. But in reality, we should be praying and pleading with God, God, transform my feelings. These real feelings I have, God, transform them into alignment with your truth, because I know these aren't true, but they are driving my life right now, and I want your word to drive my life. So God, bend me towards your word, not your word towards my feelings. And every single anxiety or worry or fear you have must be processed in prayer. 
You must take these things to the Lord and say, God, I am feeling this way. Is it true? Take it to the word of God. Take it to your community. It should all be taken to the Lord and processed that way. My professor in college would always make fun of us as we would go and we would talk about our feelings. He would joke like, hey, what'd you have to eat yesterday? And we're like, I don't know, I had pizza. He's like, okay, I just want to make sure that your feelings aren't just bad pizza. Uh, And you're like, whoa, that's rude, Dr. Bob. And he's like, well, I just want you to know your feelings don't really dictate God's word. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. I'll talk to you never again. Like, (laughs) so mean. But what he was trying to do was so sweet. He was trying to say, hey, let's, let's pick the authority And let's process everything through that authority. Because what you feel today is probably not what you're going to feel tomorrow. So what you need is something that doesn't move. Because what moves every day is your feelings and your emotions. The second thing is our emotions are gauges, not guides. They are gauges, not guides. They are smoke, if you will, but they're not fire. So in other words, they should indicate to us something that is going on, but they should not dictate to us what must go on. They should indicate to us something that's going on inside of us, but they should not dictate to us what we must do. So if you were to go and find a self-help book on how to handle worry or stress, here's what the majority of them say. They say, okay, you had this feeling about the future. And this feeling about the future uh, was not a good feeling and it's made you insecure and you're starting to think bad thoughts about the future. And so here's what the books say. They say, envision a better future. Pick the thing out there, take out the negative thoughts, instead insert positive thoughts and live towards positivity instead of negativity and that's how you get rid of worry. Fix out there is what all the self-help books say. What the Bible says is not fix out there. The Bible says fix in here. Don't go out there and try to fix your problem. Go in here and try to fix your problem. So you're stressed out about money. Instead of envisioning yourself to be a millionaire in the future, which by the way, probably ain't gonna work, right? Instead of envisioning yourself to be a millionaire in the future, why don't you go into the depths of your heart and say, God, I'm not sure you can provide for me. And God, I, I, I'm believing lies about whether or not you have my plans for, for my good in the future. And so, God, I'd rather talk to you about that than go and envision some better positive future and hope that I can self-help my way into that future. That's not going to work. And some of you have tried it, and it fails. Because every single time you start to feel that anxiety in your heart, what's usually happening is an idol in your heart is starting to collapse. A false god in your heart is starting to collapse. And that's sending up smoke signals to say, hey, you were worshiping security, and it turns out security doesn't save Hey, you were worshiping that relationship, and it turns out that guy's the worst. So instead of envisioning a better guy, how about envisioning a God who has met all of your needs in Christ? So you go down instead of going out. Everybody wants you to fix out there with a better future. No, fix what's going on in your heart. Set your heart to something new. And from that, you will find that God has your future envisioned in a much better way than you do. The third thing is our emotions can be used by the enemy to manipulate us. Our emotions are part of our fallen world. They're still inside of us and they're still broken and they're not completely wholly redeemed and they are not made into the likeness of Christ yet and the enemy knows that and the enemy has access to that. So often the enemy's gonna come in and he's gonna bully you with your emotions and he's gonna make you feel things you shouldn't feel. He's gonna tempt you to think things you shouldn't think and you're gonna have this emotive response that goes, oh, I had to do that sin or I just couldn't resist that temptation. But instead you need to realize, hey, my emotions are falling too, so I don't trust my emotions. You know this whole like 
you know, follow your heart nonsense you hear in the world. It's like, don't follow your heart. Test your heart. Reject your heart. Follow the word of God and see if your heart's listening or not. And so the enemy's going to come in. He's going to say, hey, follow your heart. Hey, do whatever you want to do. Do what's right in your own eyes. And you've got to be mindful of that. And you've got to go, enemy, you are a liar. All you ever do is lie. Like the Bible calls you the king of lies. Like you're the accuser. So I'm not interested in you manipulating my emotions. I'm going to stay steadfast in the truth. And that's how we sustain in this. But listen, so many people in church leadership, so many people have had to take time away from leadership because the enemy has come in and bullied them and created strongholds in their life. And now they are sidelined in the ministry because they are not emotionally healthy. And it's a real thing. And by God's grace, they're going to get out of that. And the community is going to help them out of that. Resonate's going to care for them and help them get, did you catch that joke? They're going to care for them and get them back in the game. And that's, that's a real thing. Listen, we love you enough to make that happen. But let's be honest. The enemy is attacking you. This is spiritual. And we need to be mindful of that reality. Our enemies, the enemy is using our emotions to manipulate us. And he's taking people out of the game all the time. If, if we're not careful at this point of the sermon, you'll start to think, okay, uh, I need to do better with my worry and my fear. Uh, and we'll forget that the, the reality is this is a lifelong battle that never goes away. And in some of your most successful moments, like you'll have the best day ever. You'll lead someone to Christ on Friday and Saturday morning, wake up so sad you don't want to eat food. You're like, how did that happen? You're like, welcome to earth. That's normal. Like the emotional roller coaster we are on is normal. And there's actually a story in the Old Testament. I thought, how can we encourage our people to realize, uh, here's how God interacts with someone who's stressed out. There's a story in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of 1 Kings, where the prophet Elijah, if you have any church background, you may have heard this story. In chapter 18 of 1 Kings, um, he has a contest with 450 prophets, false prophets of Baal. And they gather together on Mount Carmel and they're going to have a contest to see who can call down fire from heaven. The Old Testament's awesome. That's what they did. 450 people, prophets of Baal, get together and they start trying to call down fire and it's not working. And Elijah's kind of like being a jerk to them. Read chapter 18. He's like, where is your God? Is he sleeping? Is he in the bathroom? Ha, ha, ha. He's not listening to you. And so it doesn't work. And eventually it's Elijah's turn. He comes forward. And he says, God, you are the one true God. Make yourself known. Let your glory be seen in all the world. And fire falls from heaven. You ever had fire fall from heaven? No, but I bet it's awesome. Elijah did. Fire fell from heaven. It it caught the whole altar on fire. And then rain fell down to to quench it out. And so it it was this overwhelming uh, miracle of God. And then all of the prophets of Baal were were killed in in this encounter with Elijah. It's a crazy story. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a woman named Jezebel that tells Elijah, hey, I'm going to kill you. And the day before, Elijah just had conquered 450 prophets, fire had fallen from heaven, and the accusation of this woman in his life created so much fear and anxiety that he ran for his life. 1 Kings 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me more also if, you, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to kill you, she says. And Elijah was afraid. So he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. He ran so fast his servant couldn't keep up. He was so afraid. Verse four, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and he sat under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. 
He's so stressed out. He's like, God, I just, I don't even want to be alive anymore. He says, it's, it, it's, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. As he laid down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was uh, at his head a cake baked from the hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he laid down again. An angel had to wake this brother up and say, hey, you need to eat some food, man. He's so stressed out, he's not even eating. And you think that would work, but apparently not. Verse seven, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time because he's still under the broom tree stressed out and touched him. And he said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Harib, the mount of God. He's so stressed out. He, he doesn't want to eat food. He doesn't even want to be alive. But he thinks to himself, I want to go to Mount Harib. Now, Mount Harib is also known as Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. It is a major component in the Old Testament. This is where God is. So Elijah goes, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it at Mount Sinai. And so he finally makes it to Mount Sinai in verse 9. And it says this, and he came to a cave at Mount Sinai and he lodged in it. Sad, broken, stressed. He's in a cave in the mountain, running from a lady. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? You are miles away from where I had you just recently. You saw my power. You saw my glory. You saw what I can accomplish. You saw that I am for you. And now you are running away from a lady who, who doesn't have the same kind of power I have. And yet you find yourself in a cave. You have no business being here, Elijah. What are you doing here? And I think if we're honest, some of us, it may not be a physical location, but if we were to look at our lives right now and think this stressful situation led me to that, which 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 led me to that, that God could come into our life and look at us and lovingly say, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And Elijah's response to God, he starts to explain himself. So he tells him his journey. He says, uh, God, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. He starts throwing people under the bus. You've never done this before because you're perfect, right? And he's just, everyone's the worst. They've thrown down your altars. They kill your prophets with a sword. And I am the only one left and they seek my life to take it away now. God, nobody sees me. Nobody's with me. Nobody cares about me. I'm all by myself. And now I find myself in a cave because I just, I'd rather be done with this world. In verse 11, God said, go stand out on the mountain before the Lord. And Elijah doesn't even do it. He stays in the cave. But behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and then he goes out. And he stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And you go, what, why did God bring wind and earth, quakes and fire? The reason God did that is because he was reminding Elisha of what had just recently happened when God brought fire from heaven and brought an earthquake and brought wind and brought rain. He did all of this stuff to remind Elijah one major thing. Elijah, I am God and I am with you. I'm going to remind you by these massive moments of miraculous power to remind you who I am. And then I'm going to lovingly ask you, now in light of who I am, Elijah, 
what are you doing here? What are you doing here? In light of who I am, in light of what I've accomplished, in light of my, my provision in your life, Elijah, what are you doing here? And this is so significant because our worry, the things we are worried about, it rarely factors in God. The stuff we're worried about usually pertains to us and our strength and our power and the things we have going on, and it rarely factors in God. And Elijah complains again. If you keep reading in the story, he complains again. He says the exact same speech. I'm all by myself. Nobody's with me. No one helps me. I'm all alone. And God responds. He says, I need you to go back to this country and this guy's going to be the king and that guy's going to be another king and this guy's going to be the new prophet. And there's actually 7,000 people who haven't worshiped Baal that are going to be in charge now. And so he lays out the master plan for Elijah to tell him very clearly, um, you're not in charge, Elijah. I am. And the fact that I'm still in charge and the fact that I'm still running this thing should mean that you need to be where I called you to be, not hiding out over here. So what are you doing here, Elijah? But this is where worry is so brilliant. Worry of today, the reason why worry is so brilliant is because today's worries, they always erase God's past faithfulness. What I'm stressing about today, it always supersedes the fact that God has been miraculous in my life in the past. And you may go, Josh, I'm new to this church thing. Listen, I don't know where you find yourself. God has done miraculous things in your life. You, go, you don't know my story. I've been through suffering. God has done miraculous things in your life. God has been so good to all of us. And that reality is always stolen from us by today's worries. And not only that, not only is, is the, the, the faithfulness of God in the past stolen from us when we worry, the, the human condition we find ourselves in, we try to get rid of worry by running to things that are radically unhealthy that help us forget about what we're worried about. So we go and we drink too much so that we might forget about what we're worried about. We go and we get in a bad relationship and we do something sexually we should never done to forget the other bad relationship that we just had like two months before. Or we go and we watch a bunch of stuff we shouldn't watch on the internet. Or we go eat a bunch of food that we know we shouldn't be eating. Or we find ourselves looking to forget, 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 forget. That's the way we cope with worry, which is so radically different than the scriptures. Because the way the human mind copes with worry is forget, 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 forget. The way the Holy Spirit copes with worry is remember, 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 remember. And those are radically different things. So you go, man, I'm overwhelmed by this. And you go, hey, let me just remind you of who God is. Let me remind you of what he's done in the past. Let me remind you he's in control. Let me remind you he has a plan. Let me remind you God is already in tomorrow. He's already there. You want your head to explode? He's already in tomorrow and in yesterday at the same time, right? You need to do what God's asked you to do today and you need to let God worry about tomorrow. Be faithful to what he's asked you to do today. What has he asked you to do today? Are you being faithful to that? Be faithful to that. Because it's your anxiety of not knowing what you're supposed to do today that leads you to fear about tomorrow when you just should go to the Lord and say, God, what am I being asked to do today and how am I faithful to that? And then how do I leave the rest to you? and reminding ourselves constantly of what God has accomplished. The pastor J.D. Greer, he says, worry disappears when you realize that God loves you unfailingly and will let nothing interrupt his plans for your good. Because listen, most worry starts with a lie. You get told a lie. And that lie never accounts for God. It never accounts for his goodness. It never accounts for his faithfulness. You get told a lie. And that lie starts to lead you to a place that you never needed to be. 
You get told a lie, never accounts for God's past faithfulness. And that, that lie leads you to a place of worry that you should have never been. And so God in his grace comes to you in that place and gently asks the question, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Do you not have any memory of what I've accomplished in your life? Do you not have any understanding of what's, it's what's laid before you in the kingdom? What's laid before you in the mission? What's laid before you in the purpose that I've given you? You have no idea. Have, have you lost all that? And then you start to say what's going on. And, and this is just like the Garden of Eden where God goes, man, who told you those lies? Like, why are you here? And who told you that? Because those feelings, those things aren't true. So let me tell you truth and let me remind you of what I've done in the past and what I want to do in the future, if you will walk in it. So listen, the, the, the thing that we most need to understand about, about worry and about uh, the stuff we're talking about right now is that it's not a small thing. Listen, worry is a sin. And Jesus died for sin. He died for your stress. He died for your anxiety. He died for your worry. And he never one time ever, ever, ever had a worrisome thought. Why? Because he was faithful to what God asked him to do every single day. And so worry is a real sin. And so listen, I, I love you enough to ask, um, what are you doing here comparing yourself to others? What are you doing here acting that way to get their approval? What are you doing stressed out about all these decisions? What are you doing Dating that guy you should never date. What are you doing pursuing that girl who doesn't know the Lord? What are you doing in all these situations that are ultimately causing stress on your life? Because if you're honest enough to uproot that stuff and take it to the Lord, he can absolutely heal you. Anxiety-free living is possible. It's possible. And for some of us, it might take a supernatural act of God, like resurrection power, but it's possible. If the resurrection is possible, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to. It's a real thing. And so when you come to the Lord and you go, okay, uh, th the world is feeling this fear of comparison and approval, then when you're feeling that, God's gonna respond and he's gonna ask you this question. Uh, what, what about you? Are you content with who Jesus says you are? God, I'm, I'm feeling this fear of, of approval and, and comparison and, and, and the truth is, can you feel content in who Jesus says you are? Because that's the thing that's going to heal the worry in your life is operating in that contentment. And you go, man, I feel like I'm losing control and security and I don't know what the future holds. And then here comes Jesus with his truth of going, hey, real quick, can I just ask you, do you believe God can provide for you? Because that security stuff, that worry stuff that's all in the future, like, do you believe he can provide for you? And you go, man, I, I'm afraid of all these decisions I need to make. I have indecision worry and I'm overwhelmed by, by all the roads that are in front of me. And then again, Jesus comes and he goes, do you believe that the wisest decision in the world you can make is to seek first the kingdom of God? You want to know God's will for your life? Seek first his kingdom. You want to guarantee that the decisions you make are smack dab in the middle of God's will? Make a kingdom first decision. But when you start making me first decisions or my kingdom decisions, you're going to be stressed out and you're going to be worried. But listen, the, the reality is you don't stop worrying by trying to stop worrying. You stop worrying by transferring your devotion from the thing that you're most devoted to, to the one that is worthy of your devotion. Because all of us are being stolen from and all of us are being lied to. And here's why. If we think anything or anyone outside of Jesus holds the key to our joy, security, or significance, then we're gonna worry our life away. If you think anything or anyone outside of Jesus holds the keys to your joy, your significance, or your security, 
then you're absolutely going to worry your life away. But if you say, man, I, I know who holds the keys to my joy, and it's Jesus. I know who holds the key to my security, and it's Jesus. I know who holds the key to my significance, and it's Jesus. If you get that settled, then all the rest of this stuff will fall into place. And if you get it settled that his kingdom is what you're after, everything else will fall into place. And you may say, man, Josh, that scares me to death. It scares me to death to like release control over my life. It scares me to death to seek first the kingdom of God because I don't even know what that looks like. That sounds chaotic. I'm like, totally chaotic. Welcome to Resonate Church, right? Like that sounds scary. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I want to let, let go. And I, I love you enough to say, well, there's another choice and it's called worry your life away. But if you would release control and let God, allow God to be God in your life, then you would, you would see him slowly but surely over time setting you free from these things. And I know this might be a little cheesy, but I was thinking like, what's the opposite of worry? And the opposite of worry is worship. It's to go to God and say, God, I, I'm stressing about this, I'm anxious about this, I'm worried about this, but I trust that you're good and I'm going to give you the glory you deserve, and I'm going to make decisions based on who you are. And so what if, what if in this place, and, and we found ourselves going, God, I'm going to take all of these places of worry, and I'm going to bring them before you, and I'm going to say, God, here's what I'm going through, and here's what's going on. But I believe Jesus has covered that. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than that. So God, I want to respond to my worry with worship. And I never want to find myself in a place again where you have to come and find me in a cave and ask the question, what are you doing here? But God, I want to be every single day of my life, I want to be right where you've asked me to be. God, I don't want you to have to chase me down and ask me what I'm doing here. And every time I'm worried, every time I'm stressed out, that's going to prompt me to pray. That's going to prompt me to worship. And it might be weird around my friends because I'm like singing worship songs and being weird, whatever, right? Do whatever it takes to combat the worry in your life with worship. Because that is what makes us look different than the world. And that is what makes the world long for what we have because what we have in that moment is called the kingdom of God being actualized in our life. That we know who our father is, we know who our king is, therefore we have nothing to worry about. So if you find yourself worrying today, you go, Josh, how do I respond? You respond by repenting and worshiping. By bringing that stuff to the Lord and say, Father, I am sorry for this, I repent of this, not trusting you in this, and God, I wanna respond in worship. And even now, I wanna pray that that response would be taken by all of us. And we would allow the Lord to lift the weight of worry in this place. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you've accomplished on our behalf so we don't have to be stressed out. And God, I know that, that in a room like this, the, there's, there's a lot of different degrees of worry happening. But Father, wherever we find ourselves, I pray that you would supernaturally meet us where, you, where we are. And you would lovingly ask us, what are you doing here? And God, when you ask us that question, I pray we repent. And we say, Father, I'm sorry. I know that I'm far from where you want me to be. I have allowed my feelings to take me to a place I never should have gone. But God, I repent and I respond in worship and I trust you, Lord, and I believe you're good. And I know you're in control and I know you have a plan. So listen, take 
Father, as we take our worries to you, Lord, would you, would you affect us and would you change us and transform us tonight so that we might leave this room in different people, that the burden of worry would be lifted off by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, make us bold enough to repent and make us bold enough to answer the question, what are we doing here? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.